Hey everybody, John M. here with Sober Speak, and the episode you are about to embark upon is, was originally released um, as episode number four. It's entitled, Renee E., You Are Not in Kansas Anymore. And uh, this episode is special to me for a couple different reasons. Number one, I just uh, uh, have so much respect for Renee E. and the program uh, that she works. Uh, The other reason is because um, this is uh, one of the first episodes that I ended up recording. And about halfway through this episode, it became clear to me what my job was or is on Sober Speak, and that is to provide a platform for the amazing stories of recovery all around us. And I've learned a lot about podcasting in the, in, since we first recorded this, but I really did enjoy this episode with Renee, so I wanted to uh, re-release it for the people who have not been able to hear it yet. She's going to talk about a, a variety of subjects uh, during this podcast. She's going to talk about sponsorship. She's going to talk about making major decisions in sobriety. She's going to talk about her second step experience. She's going to talk about the slogans. Um, We will address a topic that uh, Renee is familiar with, and that is women connecting with other women in recovery and how that is different uh, than uh, men connecting with men. uh, And I agree with her. Um, And then we're also going to address a, I guess what you would call a unique situation that she encountered in sobriety. In other words, she had been married for many, many years, and she had been in Alcoholics Anonymous for many, many years. When she found out that or her husband uh, came forth to her and admitted that he was indeed gay. And uh, having to deal with that, uh, having to navigate that, uh, having to lean on Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and uh, going through a grieving process through that particular situation. Anyway, hope you enjoy this. If you have any uh, comments for us, you can always reach out at feedback at soberspeak.com. Uh, you can go to our website, www.soberspeak.com. Click on the Contact Us tab, and there's a microphone there, and you can leave a message if you want to have it played on the air as well. Thank you very much. Enjoy, Renee E. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number four of Sober Speak. Once again, here at Sober Speak, you will find podcasts of people sharing their story of recovery, much like you would at a speaker meeting. These men and women will tell us about their experience, strength, and hope centered around the 12 steps of recovery. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help others to achieve sobriety. So for more information, go to our website, soberspeak.com. And please remember, we do not represent any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope of recovery for those who wish to come along for the ride. So this is John M. and I'm sitting here with Renee E., one of my favorite people in the world. Thanks for being here, Renee. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, so 
Renee, I'm just going to kind of go ahead and start asking some questions. We'll see where this goes as we move along. Uh, one of your favorite phrases that I know of is God with skin on. You are my God with skin on. Why don't you talk about that phrase a little bit and what that means to you? Actually, I stole that from my sponsor, Anne M., um, who's been sober since 79. She, I would hear her say that in meetings, and I didn't really understand what that meant when I first got sober. You know, I came, the, the conception I had, the God of my understanding when I came in was very punitive and punishing, and like a lot of us, I think. And so I had to, I, I didn't get that part where they say you get to have your own relationship, you get to have your own understanding. Because there were so many times where I could not have, I didn't feel like I had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. And she would say, you know, you are my God with skin on him, and I hear him best when I hear him through you. And I thought, what is she talking about? <laughs> and then at some point, through my sobriety, I realized, okay, so here, here's the best day I have of really understanding what that meant. I had had surgery, I couldn't drive, I couldn't leave the house. I had all this time at home to be able to pray and talk to God, and I'd been sober a few years. And I thought, why do I feel more distant from God than I ever have? And you guys, and I think you were there that day, you guys brought me a noon meeting, and mm -hmm. we sat out on my back porch, oh, yeah. and we had a meeting at my house. Yeah. And as we had that moment of silence and said the serenity prayer, I thought, oh, here's God. Oh, this is what she means. That you people are my God with skin on. I hear I hear him best when I hear him through you. So even when I don't feel connected to God myself, mm -hmm. if I can stay connected to you, I have a really good shot of staying connected to God because you become, you know, God will let me hear when I need to hear through you. And so that's that has held true from that point on for the rest of my sobriety so far because I, I really do believe that you guys have become my God with skin on them. Gotcha. Talk to me a little bit about sponsorship, uh, both sponsorship from uh, the people that you sponsor, and also I know you have a special relationship uh, with your sponsor. Talk to me about, uh, I guess, the role of sponsorship as you see it, uh, not only in, in your life personally, but as, you, as a whole within Alcoholics Anonymous. I was just having that conversation with a sponsee yesterday. I'm, I'm such a different sponsor today than I was when I, you know, we all come in with our ideas and conceptions of what we think sponsorship is. And I, they're, I'm going to tell them. No, none of those. The first four or five women I sponsored, right back out. Right. I'm, man, I suck at this. I'm terrible. Then <laughs> what I realize is that's not what it's about. It's, it's not about having them stand up at the podium after a year with their Academy Award coin going, right. I'd like to thank my sponsor for this <laughs> lovely award. It's really about the fact that my sponsor put it to me this way. She said, with all the women over the years that you have sponsored, you have a 100% success rate because you have stayed sober through all of them. Mm -hmm. And that's really the point. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not a fan of long-distance sponsorship because the, the main thing that I need from sponsorship today for me is accountability. Mm -hmm. my, my alcoholism will talk me in or out of anything. It can justify and rationalize with the best of them. What... What I need from her is someone who loves me enough that is willing to hurt my feelings to help me save my own life and 
ooh, she has hurt my feelings at different times. <laughs> but I have always known at the end of that conversation that anything that she has said that has hurt my feelings is because she loves me enough to be able to say the things that are hard to hear. Yeah. She doesn't want to see me drink and die because right. that's the alternative. So she's willing to risk my relationship with her to help me save my own life yeah. in spite of the cost to her. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a pretty amazing sense of unconditional love. My job is not to be my girls' mama, their boss, their life coach, their... I may end up being those things, but that's not the intent of sponsoring. My, my job as a sponsor is to share my experience, strength, and hope through my experience with the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. Somebody who wants a different experience won't be a good fit for me because there's lots of ways to do the steps, but here, this is my experience with them. If it's what you want, then great. If it's, if it's not, then I respect your decision to work with somebody else. And my sponsor got sober in 79. And even though I'm not a fan of long-distance sponsorship because I need the accountability, um, I believe that I need to be sitting in a meeting with them once in a while. And Because it's not, I can tell them whatever I want over the phone. Right. But it is, do they, am I, do they watch me stick my hand out to newcomers? Do they watch me share a solution in a meeting? Are they, you know, they're watching my actions, not my talking, because right. I could talk a good game <laughs> drinking or sober. <laughs> but it's because she's my aunt also. Yeah. And I watched her change from this, what we called her scary Aunt Annie when she was <laughs> drinking. And then she changed in 79 and became my favorite relative. And I knew the only difference was she had started going to Alcoholics Anonymous and she didn't drink anymore. Gotcha. So at least when it was my turn, I knew where to go. She took me to my first meeting. Um, she's the one that had recommended the outpatient treatment center that I ended up going to. Um, and, and when I asked her about being, we, we were sitting at a table after the meeting going for coffee, like yeah. we yeah. do. <laughs> and uh, she's going through the steps because I said, tell me the rules. What are the rules for this thing? <laughs> and she said, I was so impressed that she could name all the steps. And she said, and you need to get a sponsor. And I said, well, can you sponsor me? And she said, I can't sponsor you. I love you too much. I can't be objective enough to help you. That will get in the way. You need somebody that can be objective enough to help you. <clears throat> well, that lasted about two years. To Anyway, and that's, an, that's another story. But yeah. I knew enough to be dangerous to myself. And that whole thing changed. But when, I, when we moved to Texas, I said, are you going to... And tell people where you're from. I'm from Kansas. Kansas. Originally, right. I got right. sober in Kansas, lived there my whole life. We moved to Texas in 96. And I said, do I need to find a new sponsor down there? And she said, let's try this. She said, because we have this built-in blood accountability, mm -hmm. we're the only two in our families on either side that are sober and in the program, and uh, blood-wise. And so how awkward it would be if one of us went out. Family reunions would be totally screwed up for both of us. But she said, if you will make a commitment to get eyeball to eyeball to me, at least if you will come back to Kansas at least every other month and do what I ask you to do, I need to hear from you once a week, the you know X amount of meetings, whatever, then we'll try it. But I would get a backup sponsor down there. I would develop a relationship with a woman that if something happens and this doesn't work, you know immediately where you're going because the worst thing that I can do is not be accountable right. as an alcoholic. Well, one of the worst things. And that was in 96, and it's, it's worked. But I've kept my end of the bargain 
too, because I don't want to lose her as my sponsor. She knows me. She's known me since before I was born. Yeah. So that helped us oh. cut through a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Family wise. So. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever known anybody uh, within Alcoholics Anonymous that had an aunt as their sponsor. But it just goes to show you that different things work <laughs> for different people. And there's no cookie-cutter way for all this no. to come about. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So you've had a lot of experience with seeing people come into the program, and everybody seems to have a, a, a different way of finding their relationship with their God and finding this recovery. And some even don't even, some are even agnostic right. and an atheist, right? And maybe it's not about a relationship with God. So tell me what you see that that works and talk about the differences with the various people uh, within the 12-step program, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and, and how you see them recover. I think the most important thing that I have seen, you know, I don't care if your higher power is a whatever, fill mm-hmm. in the blank. I think the most important thing with believing in a higher power or whatever your God looks like, that's the coolest thing about our program is that you get to choose that. Right. Um, <clears throat> And it says it's inherent. That concept of God is inherent in every man, woman, and child. The, the most important piece of that whole thing is that you believe there's something bigger than you. Right. That there is a God or a spirit or whatever you want to call it. Don't right. get caught up in the semantics. And it's just not you. Mm-hmm. If you can go there, I don't... It doesn't... Some people get real offended if they say, well, mine was a Coke machine or don't... I don't care. Mm-hmm. I, you know, what I've learned in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is I don't get to judge that. Mm-hmm. If it is what they need to believe in that helps them stay sober, to believe that they are not in charge that particular day, knock yourself out. Right. It's not, I just have to worry about my relationship with my higher power, whom I choose to call God today. I missed a really important piece of that, the step that says, turn my life and my will over to the care of God. I missed that word for several years. I thought, well, I don't want to. I don't want to turn my life and my will over because then I'm going to have to go be a missionary in Africa. Right. And what if I don't want to be a missionary in Africa? And isn't that what you do? And the whole Mother Teresa thing. And what I realized later is, if that's God's will, then I will want to be a missionary. Right. But then none of that happened anyway. Yeah. It's it's over to the care of God that somebody loves me so unconditionally that they're they want the best for me, yeah. and I can't do that by myself. But you guys are the ones that showed me that God was skin on him concept. Yeah. Because you loved me unconditionally. I believe that it really was possible for a God of my understanding to love me unconditionally first. But I had to learn to trust you before I could trust that. Yeah. I had to have you love me unconditionally before I could love myself enough to believe I was capable of being loved unconditionally by God. Right. So it started with you guys. Right. One more time. There's so much meat in here. I can't Good. explain it, Renee. This is fantastic. I love it. Talk about your experience. And I have all these notes right here that I wanted to ask you. <laughs> but then as you say different things, I go, well, wait a sec. I want to know about this. I want to know about that. Talk about your experience in coming to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity. In other words, just just take that, that second step and talk about your experience uh, that brought you where you are today and, and, and how you went about that on the front end. My dad was an alcoholic and I, and he's not the reason why I'm an alcoholic. My mother comes from a long line of alcoholics. She is not one of us, but 
um, that you know genetics were stacked against me from from an early age. But I used my dad's drinking to say, as long as I didn't drink like that, then I must not. Because I knew he was an alcoholic. He was standing, that kind of seed got planted one day. He was standing in front of the fridge. He was home for lunch. And I said, it was in the summer, so we were off. And he was standing there in front of the fridge, just looking in the fridge. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, there's nothing in here to drink. And I said, what do you mean? There's a whole case of beer in there. And he said, yeah, I don't think I could have just one. And something in my brain went, er. (laughs) <laughs> because he would drink every day until he passed out. Yeah. And I would make sure he got up the next morning and got to work and all that. So I knew as long as my drinking didn't look like that, then I must not be alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So I held that as the standard for a long time. Mm-hmm. So when I finally, when when everything blew up, the day I swung my legs over the side of the bed and thought there was always big, I'd had big before, but I'd never had too big because I could always handle it, right? That second part of the first step, I could always manage it. it. And it just felt unmanageable. It all looked really good. I still had my marriage, my kids, my job, but my insides were totally unmanageable. And I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and you, you guys were talking to me about you know, you need to do this, you need to do this, and the whole God. And I said, I remember saying to somebody, I'm glad that whole God thing works for you, but I I didn't, I believed in God. I just didn't believe God believed in me, Hmm. that I didn't do it right. We were CEOs Christmas and Easter only. Um, You guys were getting an A in the God thing, and I was getting an F. And there was no way that he was going to waste his time with me. I didn't pray right. I didn't do it right. And... And again, but what it came back around to is you kept telling me to keep coming back. You kept hugging me. You remembered my name. You told my story when you opened your mouth in a meeting and would share. And I thought, holy crap, nobody had ever done that. I couldn't afford to tell anybody what was happening in my head. It was too terrifying. But when you guys said it, and I thought, oh my gosh, somebody else, I am not alone. And then you would start talking about your relationship with God, and you would start talking about how you got there. Right. I could learn from that and start practicing it because I trusted you yeah. enough. In it. So I just held on to your God for a long time right. until I could have one of my own. Right. That makes sense. Talk to me a little bit about your big, beautiful family. Uh, and um, just, I, I know you have a beautiful family and everything. Just, just tell us about your kids and, and everything else you want to talk about. I was, uh, my daughter was two, and my son was one, and I was pregnant with my third when I got sober. Yeah. We'd been married for two years. Um, it, <laughs> my poor husband, all the signs were there before we got married um, about, she, he would say, you know, you're, you're, you're obnoxious when you drink. And I'd say, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm helping people. I'm just telling what they need to know. It's like you're emotionally gutting them is what you're doing. And so, okay. But he, he's not an alcoholic, was not an alcoholic. So after I had gotten sober, because we separated twice during those two years, I was, while I was trying to get sober, once when I was going through outpatient treatment and then I moved back in right before the baby was born, but nothing had really changed. And then the second time we separated, we started seeing a true marriage counselor, which made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. As I was working the steps, 
But he was also willing to change, kind of work the steps via proxy, which doesn't always happen. When one person gets sober, the other person isn't always willing to change too. That made a huge difference. And then uh, I wanted to have a baby sober. What would that be like? Um, so we had our fourth. So you had your fourth. So I have a girl and three boys, all of whom have never seen me drink, which I will be forever grateful for so far. Mm-hmm. Um, about 10 years ago. So one thing I forgot to ask you on right. at the beginning of this, and I usually have people just say it just to kind of qualify them and just to let people know that sobriety is mm-hmm. possible. Your sobriety date is what again? November 16th, 1991. No, November of 1991. Right. It's a long time, right? <laughs> Sometimes feels just like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> that's a long time, and that's great. All right, so and you said about 10 years after I, I interrupted you. About 10 years ago, um, something was wrong in our marriage, and I didn't know what it was. You could feel an elephant in the room, and but uh, nobody knew. I mean, we were still happy. Our kids were fine, but something was wrong. And um, I didn't know what else to do except throw myself in Alcox Anonymous more. So eventually, um, we had kind of a come to Jesus in a parking lot one night waiting for one of our kids to get out of basketball. And I said, I don't know what's wrong, but we may have to go to counseling to figure it out. Because you guys have taught me I can't stay in the problem. I have to get in the solution. No matter what it is, I've got to stay in solution. And um, he just started crying. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, I'm gay. And it was the first time he had ever said that out loud in his life. And I said, I think I know that. And he said, well, then why didn't you tell me? (laughs) And I said, what's my story to tell? And I I wasn't ever going to talk about that from the podium. Mm -hmm. But I was having dinner with a sponsee. This must have been shortly after that had happened. Mm -hmm. Because I was terrified. I mean, then what? Your your life gets blown up. Then what? Mm -hmm. What do you do? And... um, he, I, it's the fear of the unknown. Thank God I was sober. Thank God I had a solid program of recovery to ground me mm-hmm. and people around me to ground me. And so she and I are having dinner. And how long had you been married at this time? I'm sorry. 20 years. 20 years. And uh, I said, I'm not going to, she said, are you going to talk about that from the podium? And I said, no. She's like, why not? And I said, Why would I? And she said, because people need to know that bad stuff can happen in sobriety and you don't have to drink over it. So I I said, tell you what, I'll pray about it. And if God wants that story to come out, it will come out. And it came out. (laughs) I just outed him in front of everyone. And I said, okay, people, this is how Alcoholics Anonymous works. If this shows up in a newspaper somewhere, I'm going to know where it came from. (laughs) That's not what we do. But amazingly, amazingly, because there's parts of my story my children have never heard none of that has ever come back to bite me ever in a negative way it's done nothing but good which tells me it's god driven it has to be god always uses the hard stuff for good i go back to what it says in on page 449 well 417 now in the fourth edition nothing absolutely nothing happens in god's world by mistake now for me that doesn't mean that god causes the bad stuff to happen i heard a really good explanation of that once it's that God knows we're fallible human beings. Right. God knows the biology is going to go bad. That's part of that whole free will. God had to, you know, wipe his hands and go, okay, this is what you want. Then I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to interfere all the time. So it's not a, mis- it's not a surprise to him when that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. But what I was taught was, if I can find the good, 
I can find God. God is always in the good. Mm-hmm. If I can find some gratitude in it. So, so here's the gratitude that came out of what could have been a really awful situation in my marriage. He is still my best friend mm-hmm. today. He was then. He still is today. He didn't want to be gay any more than I wanted to be alcoholic. I believe it's a wiring deal, right? Mm-hmm. Better another man than another woman. Another woman's personal, <laughs> right? That could have been really bad. Another man, I cannot compete with that. So, because I spent 20 years thinking it was me, right? So, oh, all right. Well, so it wasn't me. I had the wrong equipment. Good to know. So, we have been able to work through that with grace and dignity and still stay on the same team as parents, raise our children together. At the end of the day, you know, we started this deal as a family and we, we are an even stronger family today. My, ki- my, my kids have a different sense of open-mindedness and not mm-hmm. judging and acceptance that they would have never had mm-hmm. otherwise. So we've had to find the good mm-hmm. in it. And it's, it's made us stronger as a family. It forced us to have really difficult conversations. I've had to grieve a marriage that I won't ever get to have, mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have had. But I've been able to find all the good that has come out of that, mm-hmm. that has helped me hopefully be able to help other people. When I do share that part from the podium, I'm amazed at how many people come up and say, same thing happened to me, but on the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both both sides. And, and most of them don't have as positive of, as a, an experience, experience that we did. So I will always be grateful for that. Mm-hmm. So... Bad, bad stuff can happen, and you don't have to drink over it. <laughs> That's right. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I've been to a lot of meetings with a lot of different topics, but I've never heard the one at a meeting. Uh, How to stay sober when your husband comes out. <laughs> right. Yeah, me either. So that's why I don't talk about that in meetings. If it's ever the topic, boy, I'll be jumping out there. But, but you know, I was taught that too. John, that's a great point, though. I was taught when you come to a meeting... You speak to the topic, and you speak to solution on that topic. Mm-hmm. You share your experience and the solution that went with it on that topic. You don't talk about your cat or your mama or your you know messy kids or your gay husband or whatever. So, okay, I've, I've learned to trust that, and it keeps meetings healthier, and it keeps me in solution. Good for you. God bless you. Um, talk about uh, a little bit about... Um, are there any particular slogans within the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, within the recovery world, that kind of stand out for you? You know, so like like first things first or one day at a time. Is there anything that kind of stands out for you that has been kind of a crutch for you as you've been through sobriety? That probably the most important thing that my sponsor has said over and over and over again, and I don't know whether she got this from the rooms or not, is stay where your feet are. You know, God's got it. Stay where your feet are. Because if I can stay here, I can find God. I, I, I can't afford to be in tomorrow. I can't afford to stay in yesterday. I need. She said, when you're dealing with something, look down. And wherever those size 10 are, thank you for announcing how big my feet are. She said, wherever those size 10s are, stay there. Because that's where God is. And I, I have held on to that religiously throughout my sobriety because it's so easy for my alcoholic head to spin out. Mm -hmm. What about, like that scene from Parenthood, but what if he drops it, but he didn't? But what if he drops it, but he didn't? That's the reminder that I'm supposed to stay right here and present because that's where you guys are and that's where God is. 
Does Parenthood, isn't that the one also that has the uh, go up and down? And, and the merry-go-round and, right? and, it's, and it's, the roller coaster. Right, right, yeah. from the grandma or something <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> Excuse me, yes. Super, what kind of drinker were you, Renee? Uh, just so people can kind of relate to that a little bit. I wasn't a daily drinker yet. I have no, all those yets would have come true for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do the jail thing or the DUI thing. Yets, mm-hmm. they were all yets. But I, my earliest memories were of not feeling enough. Like everybody else got that manual on how to do life but me. So when I got old enough, if, if it was a social situation, which meant there was more than one other person there, mm-hmm. um, and I heard somebody call booze liquid courage in a meeting, I was like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. If I could just have a couple of drinks before we got out of the house, mm-hmm. right? That was, I just needed that boost. But I could not walk into a social situation sober. I was terrified that either A, you were going to talk to me and figure out that I am a big fat phony, right, that doesn't know what she's doing, or B, you weren't going to talk to me, and I really am a piece of crap that no one wants to talk to. So it was a no-win. But if I had some booze in me, then I could be charming and witty and six feet tall with no cellulite and big boobs and all those things I wanted to be, right, that I was never really going to be. But that alcohol said, yes! Tell them exactly what you need to tell them to help them. Yeah, you'll be awesome. <laughs> oh, that's a, I, you know, I'm, and, and so this kind of dovetails into my next question, and that is just to hear you say, I, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've obviously dealt with more men in sobriety than I have women in <laughs> that's sobriety. A good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> and uh, in fact, one of the reasons that I think I told you this, I wanted to get you over here so bad, is because I had people commenting, oh, how come you're interviewing all these men and no women? I said, well, I just know more men. And so, um, yeah. but, but so when you talked about that having no cellulite and yeah. big boobs and stuff like that, it's, you know, I, you know, as a guy, you know, we kind of think of, you know, being a, a tall, dark, and handsome yes. and bulletproof and such, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I call myself a short red and my wife thinks I'm really cute but but nonetheless uh uh is there a difference when you think about being a uh a woman in sobriety uh and and i just don't know this perspective and there's more i'm really curious about this um is there a different uh, to me in some ways we all swim in the same water Right. right but is there a difference being a woman in woman in sobriety versus being a man in sobriety what are your thoughts i I think that's a really interesting question. I think it is, I, I don't, from what I have seen, I don't know that men have a, as hard a time connecting with other men when they walk ah. in the door as women do connecting with other women. Because of the competition. <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm right on that. Right. It's more of a question. So, so here's what I've, I've figured out about that because I was one of those women who came in and said, oh, I just get along better with men. Yeah, yeah we know. Yeah, we were, we were all slutty when we were drinking, you know, gay or straight, it didn't matter, right? Because other people became booze in a body, right? They did the same thing for me that alcohol did. I just didn't have to change my date or get a new chip or whatever. You know, I've often said men are booze in a body for most women alcoholics. They do the exact same thing that Booze did for about 20 minutes. I feel wanted and attractive and loved, and, and then that wears off, and then I am filled with guilt, remorse, shame, self-loathing, all, same exact stuff. Right. So, but when women come in the doors, and I don't, we'll tell ourselves that it's because women are just judgy and wench and wenches, and we just we just get along better with men. But I, but what I found for me was that I I was terrified of women. 
I didn't have the, the verbiage for it then. I didn't have the vocabulary or the self-knowledge, but I was terrified of other women because I knew they were going to see through me in a way that men weren't. Right. Men were just easy right. all across the board. <laughs> women were terrifying because they weren't, I, the same tricks didn't work on them that worked on men. Mm -hmm. And what I found was, you know, my, my gifts as a sponsor, if, if I have any, are not memorizing the book. That, that God didn't give me that gene. Mm -hmm. He knew I'd read it once, go, yep, done with that, never have to pick that up again. But, but one of the experiences that I can give to another woman is how to develop other relationships with other women, right. which is so incredibly valuable. Because men, the same things aren't important to men as they are to women. Like men really, yeah, they if they look decent, they don't care about coming into meeting. Society has said different things to women their whole lives mm -hmm. about how they're supposed to look. And so I need somebody that gets that, right. that really says, uh, you don't have to wear makeup to go to a meeting. Just show up. Right. Oh, it's really risky. Right. Those kind of <laughs> things that, that seem like minutiae to you guys are, right. can stop us from walking in the door. Yeah, right. You know, at, at a certain point. How do you build relationships with people that you've been terrified of, yeah. that you have been taught are the enemy, yeah. or that you've told yourself are the enemy, or your head's told you are the enemy mm -hmm. your whole life? Right. So that has, that I think is a huge difference between men and women. Right. You guys tend to gravitate or at least accept each other pretty quickly. Right. And I think the women in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous are very willing to accept other women, but I think it's those that first come in right. are very skeptical of us. Right. Based on their prior experience. I right. get it. Right. I get it too. Um, talk to me a little bit about, I know you've been through piece portions of your life, right, to where you've been up against making major decisions, if you will, you know. Uh, you know, some are little decisions on a day-to-day -day basis, but when you get to that point to where you have to make a a major decision about your life, uh, and it seems like there's, you know, gray area. It's not like stealing or not stealing. I mean, right. you know, that's pretty, pretty black and white. But there are times where relationships, jobs uh, are, are, are involved, and in, 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 in different people, have different opinions. Now, I've been in many a situation where you right. where you have ten different people who you'll give them a, a, a um, problem to, and they'll give you ten different answers. Right. And, and these are well-meaning people, and oftentimes very healthy people, and people I respect. And then I go, what do I do now? Right? right. So when you get to a point like that, and you have to make a major decision in your life, can you talk to us a little bit about the the process that you go through with that? Well. I just went back to work, actually, last year after being a stay-at-home mom for 20 years. Wow. I mean, I had been in an elected position, which allowed me to, to feel like I had a life, and I was, I was still a vibrant member of society. But I was really torn between, what do I do? I mean, do I, do I go down this path? Do I go down this path? And that's not the first time, like you said, that's happened in sobriety. But thank God I've been sober long enough to trust the process. And the process for me looks like, first of all, I talk to my sponsor because I trust her mm -hmm. really above all. Now, we have disagreed at times, but mm -hmm. I know she wants what's best for me. Mm -hmm. But I also know she's going to try and, more than anybody else, include God in that process. Mm -hmm. And what she always says is, the very first thing I have to do is pray about it. Mm -hmm. Because God speaks to me in my gut, but a lot of times my head is louder than my gut. 
mm-hmm. depending on where I am in my in my program that particular day or week. Her point is, she's had me do writing pros and cons lists, that kind of stuff, when it's just not clear. What I know about God's will is, eventually, it, it becomes clear mm-hmm. if I can pause and not react on my feelings, um, if I can focus on facts and not feelings. Because mm-hmm. facts are not judgmental, they just are. Right. My emotions tend to be judgmental and um, not objective, right. because I'm not looking... I'm not using a clear lens when I when I look through a problem with a with emotions, but she'll say when I was trying to decide is this the job I'm supposed to take? She said, "Here's what I believe: if it's where God wants you, and you are asking for God's will, if it is God's will, there won't be anything you can do to not end up in that job. Right. And if it is not God's will, there won't be anything you can do to end up in that job." Right. So she said, "Your job is to go until you hear stop." And God's, God's stop isn't a, oh, this is going to be a lot of work. I'm really going to have to do... No, God's stop is I cannot get around it. Mm-hmm. I'm just hearing no, doors are shutting and things are... And it's not going to happen. The, the most important piece of that is I'm supposed to do the footwork and leave the results up to God. My problem is I want to control the results. And I want to do the footwork and go, okay, God, so... And here's how this needs to end up. Right. And what I've had to learn is do the footwork do the work, and then let it go. Right. And let God have it from there. Right. And that's still really hard sometimes. Right. But at least there's a pro- process and a solution, and I have tools to, to use to get through those, ah, <laughs> right. you know, moments. Ah, uh-huh. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> no. So talk to, talk to, if you would, that new person out there. Or actually, maybe not talk to them, however you want to do this, right? I'll, I'll let you choose. Share your experience, strength, and hope that will kind of uh, help a newcomer out there. Somebody who may be listening to this who is struggling to get sober or they're struggling with uh, anything to do re- with recovery, getting from point A to point B. What is it that you can say to them from your experience that will say, you can do this if I can do this, I will. I will say that relapse does relapse does not have to be a part of anybody's story. For mm-hmm. some of us, it is, but it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. I think you know one of the things that I heard was you don't. You can come in and, and get one chip and be done. Because my my bottom didn't look like everybody else's. Right. It felt like, um, and what I was told was I got to decide how far down my elevator went. Right, it didn't have to go six mm-hmm. feet. My dad's had to be six feet under. Mine got to stop, you know, when I still had stuff. Right, right. But the the problem with that elevator is that it's like the elevator in The Shining, where it never really. I can I can go back to it anytime. And the doors open. There's those freaky twins that are like <laughs> rum or whatever. But that elevator will never go back up. Right, it only goes down. Yeah. And I didn't, I was terrified of getting back on the elevator. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling in one day where I thought, nope, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm in too much pain. This is too hard. I, I wanted to drink. And I was not a daily drinker. So what I, what I know now is that just meant I was feeling stuff that I didn't want to be feeling, right? And I just wanted it to go away. And she said, get on your knees and ask God to help you get through the next 10 minutes. 10 minutes. That's right. I couldn't do 24 hours. That right. was way too long. Right. 
do 10 minutes. Okay, so I'd do that. And then I could get through 10 minutes. And then I could stretch it out to 20 minutes. Then I could stretch it out to 30 minutes. And pretty soon it was only an hour before the next meeting. And I'd just keep, you know, rinse, repeat over and over again. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was possible. I thought when I came in and you said, I'm never going to be able to drink again. And you would say, hold up. How about you just try and finish today sober? Right. We can do anything for 10 minutes at a time. I can do anything for 10 minutes at a time. 24 hours seem like too long, but I can do 10 minutes at a time. So even if it was, she'd say, okay, now go empty the dishes out of the dishwasher and look, okay, go do a load of laundry. Did you make your bed this morning? Have you vacuumed? I mean, all that stuff that sounds so stupid, Mm -hmm. but I, my brain was so loud Mm -hmm. and I didn't have any other choice for, I didn't know how to fill up my time with anything other than escape. Mm -hmm. So she would give me things to do. All right, you call this person at this time, and the phone weighs, it does weigh 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. It, it, sometimes it still feels that way. But you people were the only ones that got me, that you got it. Mm-hmm. I'd say, I'm just having a bad day. And you'd say, yep, mm-hmm. so tell me about it. And you just let me bleh. <laughs> um, and you didn't try and fix it. But you, you, even though I didn't recognize at the time, you were giving me solution. Mm-hmm. and giving me tools to pick up that I didn't know existed because alcoholism was the only tool I had. It is possible to, to come in and stay. You don't have to do it forever. It just has to be a little bit at a time. Just literally, when it feels like too much, you look down, you, you stay where your size 10s are or whatever, <laughs> and you just stay there in those for that day yeah. and just try not to drink that day. Because we'll be there whenever you get back. And if relapse ends up being part of your story, we'll still be there when you get back. Because as long as you can keep walking in the door, there's hope. Mm -hmm. All that stuff may be what's necessary for you to be able to come in and stay. I get it. But if we can do it, you can do it. Right. This has been magical for me, Renee. I'm going to go back and listen to this myself uh, more than once, I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to be uh, uh, traveling this week, and uh, I know I'm going to go back and listen to it. So, um, you know, I've still been kind of uh, uh, thinking about how to end up these little uh, uh, interview sessions. I think today I'm going to try a new one with you, if you will uh, uh, join in with me. Let's go ahead and do what we would do. Uh, at, did I just say doo doo? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I teach middle school. <laughs> We'd be laughing by now. Let's just go ahead and do the uh, Lord's Prayer. We'll go be ahead awesome. and do it together. All right. Be awesome, yeah. Our Father, Father who, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed be, be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Once again, Renee E., thank you so much for coming in to join me today. Thanks for having me. Take care now. You too.